This is Post Ugly. I'm Ruth Solorzano. The concept of epigenetics was first proposed by C.H. Waddington in his book, Organizers and Genes. In it, he illustrates the various developmental pathways a cell might take. Epigenetic changes don't alter the DNA in a gene, but rather how a gene is expressed. Recent studies show that these changes have effects across the entire genome and can be associated with various health problems connected to early adversity. As Dr. Teresa Marsh mentioned last episode, epigenetics play a vital role in the trauma and abuse many of us have experienced. And the cumulative effect can change our behavior as well as alter the perception that others may have of us. Because I didn't want to stutter, I started to emulate people who I knew spoke well. My grandmother was a, was a great person to emulate. She had a beautiful British accent, and I thought it was melodic, and I wanted to sound like her. But I lived in Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, and now I sound like a little bit of a twat Brit. It always seemed like I was putting it on. I had my own reason. You know, there are parts of my schools I never visited, like the cafeteria, because it was just like an open pit of horror. So I avoided that. No one knew it. I was recently on a Zoom chat with um, people I went to high school with, and there was this astonishment that they didn't realize that this was my life, even though we were all like in the same school. Like, how did you guys not know? Well, I was born in um, South Korea, and I grew up there until I was eight years old, and I came to the United States then. He was one of the main reasons why our family was able to come to the United States. Uh, He and his wife sponsored us, basically. Sponsorship can take several years and is a legal commitment by one or more family members who are U.S. citizens to take responsibility for the welfare of the incumbent immigrant. But sometimes that welfare can morph into abuse. I think even though my parents knew about the sexual abuse that was going on, they felt very powerless to do anything about it. And I think part of that had to do with the fact that they were immigrants. They didn't speak any English. Also, just the power dynamic of going up against a Caucasian person, someone who you look up to, someone who you look to as a leader in the family. Um, I think for them, it was like, it was something that was very daunting to deal with. My dad passed away when I was 13. My mom and I, um, she was someone who was always very angry. I used to be her punching bag, literally and figuratively. A lot of times she would get very defensive because I think in some ways she felt very guilty about what she did. I call that the conspiracy of silence. 
Here's Dr. Teresa Marsh. But I think the biggest thing around that is that whole notion of a defense mechanism, which is denial, because it's too painful for our egos to bear. The other thing is that I absolutely know as a trauma specialist, it's the shame that comes with that kind of thing and the guilt. The National Domestic Violence Hotline reports immigrant survivors often choose not to report incidents of abuse out of fear of immigration consequences. The fact that immigration status may interfere with their ability to access support services can push abusive behavior even further. So the first person I told was this girl who was also in the shadow program with me. And what I really wanted from her was I wanted her to get mad for me. I wanted someone to stand up for me and say, like, this isn't okay. But I think because she was so a part of that world, she sort of brushed it off. The thing that damaged me, I think, in this whole situation was that it was so constant and so ongoing for years that it really kind of, it messed up my self-esteem hugely, but it, it also messed up my ability to think rationally. In fact, like if I read some of my old diary entries, it, I get a stomach ache because I hear in my writing myself editorializing what had happened. And, and it's funny because I know that like in, during that time period, I was in pain. I, I would cry myself to sleep all the time because I was so confused. I was confused because my mind was constantly rationalizing these things. I was playing all these mental gymnastics with myself, trying to pretend like this is good, that I want this, that I like this. And then my body was just in pain. I had terrible, terrible stomach issues all throughout high school, like constant diarrhea, IBS, um, just stress. And I was exhausted all the time. And it's only like in hindsight that I realized those things are connected. It affects people at the physical level, at the emotional level, at the spiritual level, at the mental level. There's a disintegration and a fragmentation of the person's inside and then get stuck in their nervous systems, in their bodies. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, as of 2017, one out of every eight adults struggled with both alcohol and drug use disorders simultaneously. Environmental factors that may increase a person's risk of addiction include a chaotic home environment and abuse. Well, 
When I was a junior, my cousin had come to stay with us from El Salvador, and she was, I mean, she was one of the sweetest people, basically the closest thing I ever had to a big sister. And my mom would always compare me to her. You know, why can't you be more like her? You know, look at how, you know, how respectful she is, how nice she is. She goes to church and she did, it's just, I mean, she's very, she was raised, you know, very traditionally Salvadoran and Catholic and didn't really talk back and, you know, very sweet, but also kind of meek. That kind of pushed me to a breaking point and um, I ended up ODing January of my junior year. I took a bunch of prescription pills, drank half a bottle of wine, did it all at school, and um, basically the paramedics said if it had been a couple more minutes I wouldn't have made it, I wouldn't still be here. The doctor had come in and asked why I did it and apparently I said something about my, you know, my dad. I called him my dad. You know, he's my stepdad, but I always called him my dad because he adopted me. So it's just that weird thing. But I said something about stuff that he had done, which then brought everything to the forefront. County got involved. He got removed from the house for a few months. We all had to go through different kinds of counseling and stuff. And so, you know, everything came out to my mom and he still was allowed to come back home and she decided to stay married to him. So I was probably like 12 when I first started drinking and smoking weed and taking pills with a friend at school. But soon the alcohol would be causing even more pain. As I got older, I started experiencing stronger pills and I didn't realize that I was an addiction. I was, I became an addict. These relationships that I would get into, they were no good. They were either cheating on me, they were harming me, abusing me. They were not good to me. I met a guy and I got pregnant. I was using during this time, during my pregnancy, till about a few months into my, when I just found out I was pregnant. Many people that, that have been traumatized, they gravitated more towards the substance use. We were not born to hurt ourselves. And for me, as an addiction specialist or as a psychotherapist, when somebody comes to me and they're hurting themselves through using substances, through cutting and that, they don't need to talk about their trauma because I know they've been traumatized because they're hurting themselves. We turn against ourselves. People bring in the substances to numb the pain why is it that people are stuck in their trauma? Why is it that people are hurting themselves and hurting others that look like them? What is it that we as healthcare professionals are not really doing? Trauma and addiction should be treated together because the one is there because of the other.
The many reactions we exhibit post-abuse contribute to the way we cope, whether it be trauma passed down our genome pool or a battle with our own self-image and substance abuse. Despite these roadblocks, we can make changes in our own lives to push past our initial response. The guest speaker for this season is Dr. Teresa Marsh. She's a psychotherapist, healer, and author of the new book, The Courage of a Nation, Healing from Intergenerational Trauma. If you know of a child being abused, please report it to your local children's advocacy center or call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. Original music and sound production by Hugo Fowler. This show was produced and edited by me, Ruth Solorzano. If you like Post Ugly, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram, give us a review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show. And thank you to our courageous survivors for sharing your stories. Thank you.